want to just say about Easter, Easter is a wonderful opportunity to invite friends, neighbors, and, and co-workers. It's a, it's a time when people say they would go to a service if someone invite them. And so as you think about the five weekend services, our five Easter celebrations, Saturday at 4 and 6, Sunday morning 7, 9, and 11, you might decide which one you're going to come to based on when your guests can come. Uh, those you're inviting, and that sparks conversations about your faith to invite someone. If they do come with you, maybe some conversations after that as well. And uh, we know that the 9-11 will be the heaviest attended of the five Easter weekend worship services, and so um, we'll be ready, we'll be prepared, and we'll, we just know parking and things will be a little tougher then if you're able to come Saturday at four or six or Sunday morning at seven. Those will be times when you can come and go from the campus a little easier. We're going to have a great weekend celebrating Jesus together. And then um, just wanted to mention the card that you got last week. If some of you took that and filled it in, or maybe you went to our website, you can go to calvarywestlake.org and look for the next step card. And this talked about how we engage at this time as a church and taking your next steps with the Lord and his church here, his local church, Calvary. And uh, if you weren't here last weekend, uh, we, we filled out these cards. We left the boxes out so you could join us in that. The cards are available uh, on the uh, Bible cards, but also you can go to calvarywestlake.org and look for the next step card. You can put them in the boxes, and we're grateful for those who've responded, been a good response. We look forward to what God is going to do in and through us. If you weren't here last weekend, go check the, the sermon out online and then fill out your next step card and join us in this journey. Over the next few weeks, Pastor Steve Day is going to return from a well-deserved sabbatical after 21 years as our care pastor. But I want to, I want to bring you in on a secret. Don't tell anybody, all right? <laughs> and that is we'd like to welcome him back with some notes of encouragement just to, just to say after 21 years, you've made an impact. And uh, I think it'd be a nice way for him to return and settle back into his part in our care ministry and our pastoral team. So these sheets are available at the Bible cards. There are boxes outside the doors near the Bible cards where you can put your note in for Pastor Steve. You can also just take a piece of paper you might have, or you can email uh, a word of encouragement to info at calvarywestlake.org, info at calvarywestlake.org, and just say this is for Pastor Steve. If over the years you've been in a class he's taught, you've served in the care ministry, he's blessed you in some way in that, or perhaps uh, during a difficult time in your family, in your life, he ministered to you and was uh, someone God used in your life during a season when you just needed help and assistance, would you mind just jotting down that story, thanking him, and we're going to put these together. We hope to get several dozen of these that we can share with him. But again, this is a secret. Don't tell him. And Steve, if you're watching online, this is a different Steve day. We're not talking about you. Um, <laughs> But this would be a great way to do that. Again, you can put them in these boxes even, but any piece of paper, we have some available there at the Bible carts on your way in. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been specific days in my life that have kind of changed my life, my world forever. I remember when I got my driver's license. That was a big deal. That changed everything. When I graduated from high school and college and grad school, that changed everything forever. And then, uh, of course, when Leslie and I got married, that changed my life. We then had our three kids, John, Katie, and Megan, and each of their days of birth impacted my life and changed things forever. It's just the nature of adding children to your family. What a wonderful blessing from God. Also, I remember when my mom stepped into the presence of the Lord suddenly in the year 2000, she passed, and, and uh, that changed my life forever. 
Um, I recall also last year, our youngest, Megan, got married. We added a son-in-law, Wesley, and that's changed our family and my life forever. Then last November, my in-laws moved in. (laughs) And that changed my life forever. (laughs) Uh, I had their permission to sort of say that, because they live with me now, I feel like I need to get their permission to do that just so it makes life at home easier. But we've all gone through things, good, bad, and ugly, that have changed the trajectory of our life, changed the patterns, changed our reality in so many ways. We're gonna talk the next three weekends, including this weekend, going up to Easter weekend, about three days that changed the world. Three days that changed the world. This weekend, we're gonna look at Good Friday, the day of Christ's suffering and his trials and his beatings and even his death. Good Friday. Then next week, we'll look at Silent Saturday when his lifeless body was in the tomb. And what do, we, what do we see in terms of how did that day change the world? And then finally on Easter Sunday, we will celebrate Saturday and Sunday, Easter weekend, the resurrection day, the day in which the grave was conquered forever. These are three days that changed the world. But we also wanna look at how these days that we're looking at in those final moments of Christ's earthly ministry, how those days actually change and impact our lives today. Now, as we think about Good Friday, this is the day in which he died. Now, we, we think in terms of days as the morning, then the evening, the morning, then the evening. But in Jewish tradition, they followed the pattern of the creation story in Genesis. If you look at the story in Genesis, it'll say that... Um, the end of the first day of creation, second day of creation, it says it this way, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. It began with the evening and the morning followed. And so in the Jewish way of thinking, even in the time of Christ, the day began when the sun went down and then the day ended when the sun went down the next day. It's interesting that the pattern is often that they would go through the night before there'd be the brightness of the morning. And in life, we often go through circumstances that are difficult before we come to that place of joy in the morning. As we look at these three days, we'll look at how they impact the world, but how those things also impact our lives today. We think about Good Friday. I want to just say we've got a resource available for you. You can scan the QR code or go to calvarywestlake.org slash QR, and you'll have that opportunity to click on and to get a PDF that we put together called the Good Friday Timeline. I'm not gonna be going through all the details of Good Friday today, but that resource can help you as we approach Passion Week next week. And um, we've also got ways in which you can engage on Good Friday here at Calvary. Starting with that Thursday night, our YA will have their worship service, our young adults for 18 to 30 year olds. We have a Seder that's available that night where you can come and spend the evening seeing Christ in the Passover. You can find the details about that in our bulletin. On, on uh, Good Friday itself, we will have uh, a journey to the cross where you can walk through and be reminded of the various aspects of Good Friday and allow it to soak into your heart. Some people, that takes 20 minutes. Some people, that takes an hour. But you can find the details of that in the bulletin. And then we're gonna have a 24-hour period of prayer from seven o'clock on Thursday till seven o'clock on Friday, Good Friday, right as the Good Friday service starts, where you can come to the chapel, there'll be people to lead prayer there throughout the 24 hours, come at any time 
because we want to bathe that weekend in prayer that God will bring people to the resurrected Savior. So we're going to have 24 hours of prayer. You can join us at 2 in the morning. You can join us at any time. The details are there in the bulletin. So you've got these resources that will help you with Good Friday. And today I want to be very specific about a couple of questions, two main questions. Number one, how did Good Friday change the world forever? How did it impact humanity and our relationship with God, not just on that day, but the ripple effects go throughout all eternity? Because of Good Friday, our greatest question is no longer what do we do with our sin, but what do we do with Jesus? Humanity has struggled under its guilt and shame, the weight of its guilt and shame, that burden throughout the course of history since Adam and Eve, since they sinned. In the ancient world, they would try to appease gods, the many gods they thought were out there with sacrifices and all kinds of things to prove themselves and, and somehow appease that God and prove themselves and, and measure up to that, that God or God's expectations. In the modern world, we do the same thing. We have gods of materialism, we have escapism through sex and alcohol and drugs and those kinds of things that can, can be such a way in which we're trying to just relieve ourselves of the burden of life and even the burden of our shame and our guilt. Sometimes there are good things we do, even staying healthy and even dealing with the mental health and the psychology of our lives. Those are not necessarily bad things, but if, if we're just trying to ease the guilt and the weight of our sin, we're trying to get rid of that burden, we're, we're trying to do the same thing they were doing in the ancient world. Sometimes we try to, even in some Christian circles, prove to God we're good enough that he ought to let us into heaven because we're still dealing with the sin burden. But here's the reality. When Jesus died on the cross, he took care of the sin problem once and for all and forever. So the issue today is not what are you going to do about your sin? The question today is what are you going to do with Jesus? Good Friday changed all that. It's now what are we going to do with the one who offers us life in himself through what he did in caring for the burden of our sin and our guilt and our shame before God himself? So what happened that changed the focus of humanity's burden from the burden of our sin, our guilt, and our shame and trying to resolve that? And the question now being, what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to accept the claims of Christ or not? What happened that changed the focus of humanity's burden? I want to give you five things quickly here about Good Friday that happened that changed the world forever, that changed our posture from trying to resolve our sin problem to wrestling with who Jesus was and is and claims to be. Number one, Jesus was arrested so we could be released Jesus was arrested in that garden as the soldiers came. He was confined, he was tried, he was beaten, he was confined to the cross, he was confined and restricted, he was arrested so we could be released, released from our sin, our guilt, our shame, the curse that hovers over all of humanity, the condemnation that weighs on us. Jesus told the religious leader Nicodemus when he came to him by night, he said, look, I didn't come to condemn the world, the world's already condemned and they know it. People know they've, they're fallen and broken. They're sinful. What I've come to do, he said, is to save the world. He was, re he was arrested so we could be released and freed. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. He was arrested so we could be released. That's what happened on Good Friday. Secondly, Jesus was wounded so we could be healed. 
He was whipped, spat upon, beaten and broken long before he got to the cross because of what he endured that night of his trials and his beatings and the rejection and the mocking. Jesus was wounded so he could be healed. Ultimately, one day all tears will be wiped away. Revelation 21 tells us there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. There'll be an ultimate final healing. Sometimes God heals people even physically according to his plan and his will this side of eternity. But all of us have a broken relationship with God that's often manifested in our broken relationships with others. And Jesus, what he did on the cross, made it possible for us to be healed from that brokenness, from those wounds. The prophet Isaiah, looking forward to Jesus on the cross, hundreds of years before Jesus was actually there that day on Good Friday, he prophesied this. He was He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What Good Friday means for all of humanity in Christ is that by his wounds we are healed. Number three, Jesus was judged so we could be exonerated. We are guilty before a holy God. We deserve judgment and condemnation from that holy God. But because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us, we're not only freed, our our record is clear, we're actually clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. All of the judgment of God was placed on Jesus on the cross so that we would never experience that. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have been released. Paul would say it this way to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The one who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross. He took on my guilt, my shame, my sin, your guilt, your shame, your sin on the cross, Paul says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, so that we might be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Our sin was placed on Jesus. He was judged so we could be exonerated. Fourthly, Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. That night and into the day of Good Friday, Jesus' followers abandoned him. One of his closest followers betrayed him, another would deny him. Jesus would hear the crowds that hailed him as king of the Jews entering Jerusalem just days earlier. Now they would crowd, crucify him, crucify him. And when the Roman leader Pilate said, do you want me to release Jesus or this Barabbas guy? They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. He was rejected and abandoned, left all alone. As a matter of fact, From the cross of Calvary, as he's suffering there on Good Friday, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And as he cries that out, the earth quakes, it goes dark. As God himself turned his back on his son in the darkness and abandoned him there on the cross, he felt the abandonment, the loneliness, the isolation we should feel in our eternal condemnation But Jesus took it all on the cross for us. Again, the prophet Isaiah looking forward to the cross. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. 
Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. Paul said to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter one, that because of Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in the family of God. We put our faith in Jesus, all because he was rejected on Good Friday for us. Number five, Jesus was crucified so we could be redeemed. Jesus was crucified so we could be redeemed. He paid the price in his own blood for us to be bought back from the slave market of sin and self-righteousness. Jesus paid the price in the agony on the cross on Good Friday so that we would be freed and released to serve him forever. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus was crucified so we could be redeemed. You see, what changed the burden of what do I do with my sin to what do I do with Jesus is that Jesus took the issue of sin. He took the arrest, the wounding, the being judged and condemned, the rejection, the crucifixion, so we could be released and healed and exonerated, accepted, redeemed in him. All we have to do now is by faith accept this free gift offered in Jesus. And our sins are washed away and we are released and freed in Christ. So what are you gonna do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Have you come to that place where you rest your faith in Christ? There's no other way to deal with your sin problem, only Jesus. For those of you who know you've put your faith in Jesus, you say, what have I done with Jesus? I've embraced him, not just as the Savior, but my Savior, praise God. Thank God for his grace in your life. If you're here though and you say, well, I've been wrestling with this, make today the day you choose Jesus. Don't wait. Don't even listen to the rest of my message. Just do business with God. Say, today's the day I put my faith in Jesus. I know I can't do anything with my sin problem. Jesus did what was required. I put my faith in Jesus. I received that free gift, Father. It's found in your son, crucified, buried, and raised for me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'll be in the lobby. You can speak to me. Our care and prayer team come down here to pray over any need you might have have after each service. They can help you cross that line of faith and know that you've chosen Jesus as your Savior. If you're joining us in the room or online, maybe you're in the room and say, you know, I, I feel like God's calling me to do something now, right now. Or, or you're online, God's saying, I've got to do something right now. You can just open up your phone, go to your text messaging, and just text the name Jesus to the number 58568, the number that's below me on the screen. You just type in 58568 as the phone number, and then for the message, just type Jesus, and we'll immediately follow up with you, and we'll, we'll make sure you understand what it means to rest your faith in Jesus to be your Savior. What are you gonna do with Jesus? How did Good Friday change the world forever? Well, Good Friday has changed the question of what am I gonna do with my sin to what am I gonna do with Jesus? It changed everything in terms of humanity's opportunity before God to be redeemed and freed. But there's a second question. Not only how did Good Friday change the world forever, but how does Good Friday, what Jesus suffered that night in his beatings, his trials, his rejection, what Jesus suffered in the betrayal, the denial, what he suffered on the cross, the agony, the shock of all that to the disciples, what does that mean to our lives today? 
on our team, Doug Lehman serves as our communications director. He and his wife had been a part of Calvary for a number of years, and 15 years ago, he went through shock and pain. He entered into a really dark season of suffering and pain. And over the next three weeks, we're gonna tell Doug Lehman's story. You get a snippet of the shock, and it kinda ends a little raw, because it's the reality of what happens when people enter into the darkness of suffering in this world. And the suffering we go through and the suffering that Doug has gone through over the years is directly linked to the suffering of Jesus. We'll see that as we move forward, but I want you to hear the beginning of Doug Lehman's story of the shock and pain and how we'll talk about how that is reflected in Good Friday as well. Watch this video. My wife and I moved to Westlake and started attending Calvary 30 years ago. We would see uh, older couples walking in the lobby, holding hands as they were leaving the building and wanted to be them when we grew up. Uh, it was a beautiful sight. I come from a father who is very security-minded. I mean, the man worked multiple jobs to take care of five kids and, you know, he cared for us well. Things needed to end well. We wanted to tie it up so it was done right. Well, I got all that. I want the outcome to be just how I planned it to be. That was completely disrupted. My wife, Jan, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. That definitely changed our lives. Our hopes, our plans, our dreams, spending more time with surgery, hospital, chemotherapy. Jan passed away from cancer in 2008. There were four elders from the church and a number of our friends from our small group waiting in my living room for me to come home. It was a great comfort, but um, I still hadn't comprehended that this had happened. That was a shock to my system, a shock to my routine, and a shock to my thoughts of where would I go from here, knowing that together we were not doing what we had planned to do in the future. As I mentioned, that's just the beginning of his story. But some of you know what he was expressing. Maybe you've known it over the years in different ways where there was a shock, a darkness, a suffering, a period you went into. Some of you, that has just happened in the last year, the last month, or the last week, where something shocking has come into your life. Maybe it has to do with your own sin, the sin of someone else. Maybe it's the financial stuff we're going through in our world. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe for you, it's, it's a relationship that was looking like it was so strong and it's broken, it's frazzled. Maybe it's something going on with your health or someone you love. Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone, but you're in a period where you would say, this is a dark time in my life. This is a dark night. And the shock and the agony is weighing on you. For some of you this week or this last month or this last year, a spouse used the word divorce for the first time in a conversation. For some of you, a doctor used the word cancer. Others of you got a call about a child who's not walking with the Lord or a grandchild. Or, or you got a little heads up from somebody. They're talking about layoffs at the the business where you work. Maybe you've already gone through some of that stuff. 
You know what Satan wants to convince us? Wanted to convince Doug 15 years ago when Jan stepped into the presence of Jesus. Satan wants to convince us that our suffering defines us. I like how pastor and author Dane Ortland puts it. Your suffering does not define you. His does. Jesus' suffering does. So what does this mean that Good Friday can actually affect me and the suffering and the pain I'm going through in the dark night of the soul or in the stormy waters of, of my experience? Or maybe I feel like I'm in a desert experience with God and it doesn't seem like he hears me and I feel like I can't hear him. What do we do when we're in that darkness? What does God have for us in relationship to the suffering of Jesus of Good Friday? Here's something important for us to understand. As we walk with Jesus in suffering, our darkest nights often produce our deepest joy. This is a hard lesson to learn, but an important lesson to learn. That as we walk with Jesus, and the writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus gets what we're going through. That's why he came in human flesh. He suffered the agony of the cross so that we now have someone in heaven who pleads for us, who gets it. He has sent us his spirit to bring us comfort because he understands the reality of living in this broken, groaning world. As we walk with Jesus in suffering, our darkest nights often produce, often produce our deepest joy. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the Philippian church. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I love that verse. The hard part is the last part of it. And participation in his sufferings. Jesus said that as long as we're in this world and we're with him, we're gonna suffer. We, we deal with the same cancer our neighbors deal with, we deal with the same financial issues, but we do it differently. We have Jesus, the one who gets it. And he's given us his spirit to walk with us and he wants us to pursue knowing him, not only the power of his resurrection, the hope that's found there, but to understand his sufferings and to find the seeds of joy being planted in the dark nights of our lives. The old Presbyterian minister of the 19th century in America, Theodore Kyler said, trust God in the dark. We're safer with him in the dark than without him in the sunshine. So true. Maybe you're in that dark night right now. Maybe you've just entered it. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of it. Maybe you feel like you're in the fringes of it and it just doesn't seem to end and you thought you'd be coming out of it. How do we actually embrace the dark night as a source that God may use to plant the seeds of actual joy in our lives while we're in the darkness? How do we posture ourselves to experience the true joy in our suffering with Jesus? I wanna go back now and look at Good Friday again, but I want to look at it through the lens of one particular individual. That's Peter, one of the disciples. I want you to see G Jesus' journey on Good Friday, but I want you to see it in relationship to Peter. And that'll help us understand, how do I put myself in a posture where I'm ready to receive that, that joy that God wants to give me, even in the midst of the stormy night when I'm in the dark fog, the cloud, and I can't understand with the uncertainty and the pain what's going on, how do we posture ourselves to experience true joy in our suffering with Jesus? Number one, be careful how you think. Be careful how you think. Your quickest thought may not be your greatest idea. As Soon as you hear that news of the death, the loss, the diagnosis, 
the brokenness, the pain, as soon as you enter it, the thoughts that will come flooding in are, are not going to be your finest ideas. In Mark 8, for about the fourth time, Jesus is telling his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. He's told them a number of times, but they don't want to receive that because they see him as this Messiah who's going to overthrow Rome. And so this whole thing that happens to them about him being arrested and tried and he's not doing anything and looks like he's going to go to the cross and he ends up on the cross, it just throws them off. They're in such pain and difficulty. And Peter wrestles with this too. So when Jesus, before they even get to Jerusalem for that final Passover where Jesus would be crucified, as they're moving that way, he says, fellas, I want you to know, I'm going to be arrested. The religious leaders are going to kill me, but I'll rise again. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord. No, no, no. It is not going to happen. We will stop it. Because we will not allow that to happen. You are the Messiah. You're supposed to overthrow Rome and establish your kingdom. We know how this is supposed to go. That's what we have in our mental model of what it's supposed to be. But remember, you got to be careful how you think. Your quickest thought may not be your greatest idea. We read in Mark 8:33, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. I like how the old King James says it, get thee behind me, Satan. He said this, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. When we enter that dark night, we're dealing with that struggle we have, that difficulty we face, the pain that's come into our lives. Our quickest thoughts will not be the thoughts from God's perspective, but from our human perspective. We need to slow down, listen to God's word. We need to get godly voices speaking into our lives to help us. If you want to experience joy, you've got to posture yourself that you're careful in how you think. Secondly, be careful how you act. Be careful how you act. In Luke 22, we're given the story of after they've spent the time in the upper room and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus is praying there before the Lord and, and while they're there that night, the temple guard comes to arrest them. And in this case, their first reaction was not their best response, especially in Peter's case. Be careful how you act. Your first reaction may not be your best response. So they come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword and best indications are he's trying to lop off one of the heads of one of the soldiers that have come to arrest Jesus in the garden, and he catches him by the ear and cuts off his ear. His, his first reaction was not his best response. Jesus literally reaches down the ground, picks up the ear, puts it back on a man's ear and head and heals him, and they move on. But Peter's impulsive response matched his impulsive thinking. We need to slow down and not react to people and things and others and blame. And we've got to slow down. Be careful how we act. Thirdly, be careful how you speak. We don't only get ourselves impulsively in trouble in our minds, seeing things from our perspective, not God's. We often react rather than respond. We've got to be careful how we act, but we've got to be careful how we speak. Your boldest words may not be your wisest choice. When I meet people and they're grieving the loss of a loved one or they've heard a diagnosis or they're wrestling over what their kids or their grandkids are doing or there's something going on that has brought a darkness into their lives, people make bold statements about how, you know, this doesn't bother me, I got Jesus. They make all these bold statements and then a week later they're crumbling because all these bold words they're saying 
And we need to slow down and, and allow God to speak and listen to his voice in our hearts and lives. Your boldest words may not be your wisest choice. In, in Matthew 26, as the story unfolds, Jesus says to Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. That's the ancient world's alarm clock, the rooster. About three weeks ago, we spent a week on Kauai. The island of Kauai in Hawaii has this automatic alarm clock everywhere. Matter of fact, you buy a mug that says Kauai on it and it's got a rooster on it because they're everywhere on the island. And it's a beautiful island. We had a wonderful time, but boy, you just want to, you know, get rid of a few roosters because as soon as morning comes, the alarm clock goes off. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, before morning breaks, you're going to disown me three times. Peter responds, no way, Lord, even if, if I have to deny, if, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. It's not going to happen. He's so bold. Sometimes we need to slow down, just express the hurt and pain and frustrations of our heart, and not make bold, overarching statements. Be careful how you speak. Fourthly, be careful how you process. This is how you process what you're going through. What you're experiencing, how the pain came, how you heard about it, how you're feeling, what you're going through. Be careful how you process. Your strongest defense may not be your smartest move. Look at how Jesus processed Good Friday. From the cross, he could have condemned people and screamed at people. Instead, what did they hear from the cross? Their father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mom, here's, here's now your son who's gonna take you home and take care of you. My friend John, this is now your mother. Take care of her like I would. They hear something different in how he processes and what he goes through throughout the night, how he responds to the Roman officials and the religious officials and how he processes that. And yet the disciples are stunned. They've been following Jesus for three years. They can't believe this is happening. This isn't the way it's supposed to go. This isn't what they wanted. He'd been hinting at some of this, but they still don't get it. They reject it. And Peter himself is rejecting it. And so while in the middle of the night, before Jesus is taken to the cross, in the middle of the night when he's being tried, he's inside one courtyard, and he's being tried before a ruler, and and it appears that you can see through this open courtyard where he is in the middle of the night, and, and Peter's outside in the shadows just trying to pay attention a little bit at a distance, and someone says, excuse me, aren't you one of that guy's followers? No, 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 not me, somebody else. Then, then the young woman says, wait, I, I know, I think you're one of his followers, you're one of them. And he, no, 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 not me. There's two. Then again, the young woman says, no, I'm pretty sure you're one of the Galileans who travels with Jesus. We've seen you with him before. The scripture here says in Matthew 26, 69 to 75, that he cusses. So he basically says, blankety blank, 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 blank. I don't even know the man. Three times. 
Your strongest defense may not be your smartest move. Sometimes we go into the darkness, we blame others, we blame ourselves, we, we criticize, we tear apart, we tear down, and we do it, we, we beat ourselves up, the inner critic takes over, and, and we just need to slow down and be careful how you process. This is, again, where you get Christian friends, the multitude of counselors speaking into your life when you're in the darkness. Don't allow yourself to drift alone. That's a horrible way to process. You'll get caught in your own mind. Sometimes we need a therapist, we need a psychologist to speak into our lives in the journey of the dark nights of the soul. Be careful how you process. And then one of my favorite parts of the story of Good Friday, of all the suffering and agony of Christ on the cross, of all that the disciples are going through from their perspective, we read in Luke 22, 60 and 62, what happens immediately after Peter gives that third denial, the rooster crows, and something takes place. You see, be careful how you reflect. Now, how you look at this, how you evaluate it, how, how you come through, and while you're in it, you make reflections, and then as you come out of it, you, you make reflections that you gotta be careful about. Your worst moment will not have the last say. Satan wants to convince us that our worst time of sin and selfishness or of suffering defines who we are. That's what happens to Peter here. Luke 22, verse 61. At that moment, so at the moment, Peter denies three times and the rooster crows. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So somehow from in that courtyard where he's on trial, Jesus with his hands tied, glances back. Can you imagine the moment Peter and Jesus meet eyes? Suddenly, the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. It hits Peter. He sees the eyes of Jesus. He's overwhelmed. And look at this last part. I hate to say it, but it's one of my favorite parts of the story. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Why is that my favorite part? This is a genuine human reaction. It allows Satan to steal the joy God would have for him in these moments and this difficulty because his posture was so impulsive in what he, what he thought, what he did, what he said, how he processed, and now it's gonna be how he reflects. He weeps bitterly. He assumes this is now gonna be his defining moment forever with Jesus. I denied him three times, just like he said. I abandoned him in a moment of his greatest pain. I'm awful. I'm terrible. This is horrible. What's interesting is, when you follow the story of Peter, yes, he runs to the tomb. Yes, he's with the disciples when Jesus appears. But even after the resurrection, you find Peter going back to fishing. Peter's kind of assumed he's done. The Lord's done with him because that moment, that denial, defines forever who he is. But Jesus comes along after the resurrection, appears on a beach. He's prepared a breakfast for Peter. He sits Peter down and he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He gives him three opportunities to say, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. He said, I'm not done with you, Peter. I got plans for you, Peter. Satan wants you to be defined by that worst moment that dark time, 
the suffering and the sin and the selfishness. He wants to define you by that, Peter, but I got news for you. I have plans for you. That worst moment, Peter, is not going to define who you are to me, to God, and I don't want it to be the definition of who you are to you. So when the church is birthed in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Christ gathered in the upper room. They go out and they preach a message. And who preaches the message? Peter. How many people come to Jesus? 3,000. He becomes a major force in the early church proclaiming the good news of Jesus. As a matter of fact, three decades after Good Friday, the Apostle Peter is writing a letter to the church that's under persecution, facing great trials. He writes to them, after three decades of his own suffering and being beaten and tried for preaching the gospel and going through the heartaches and dark nights of life, and he writes to them about the persecution they're under now, under Nero. And I love what he says, how he links trials and joy the dark night with the deepest joy that he's experienced in his life. Now, I usually start a message by saying, open your Bibles, go on your mobile device to a Bible app, and it's just pained me that I've waited this long, but I've waited this long. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I want you to see these verses because this is now Peter who thought he was defined by his worst moment three decades later, linking the trials and the suffering of our life to Jesus and to the joy we can have in Jesus as we walk with him in our own suffering. We walk with the one who has suffered and gets us. First Peter 1, 6 through 8. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. They're in, they're in persecution. Their lives are difficult. They're facing great heartache and pain. They are in a dark night. And he says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more, far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. I had a woman come out after the nine o'clock, and she said, 10 years ago, my 26-year-old daughter died. Two months later, my husband died. Within that year, my mother died. She said, I went into such a dark night. She said, but I can tell you, what you said today is so true. God plants the seeds of joy in the midst of the darkest night. And she said, I can stand here today telling you that I know that I know that I know Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. That's what Peter's saying. He says here, be truly glad. Wonderful joy is ahead. Rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The woman I talked to after nine said, I, don't, I try to explain this to my friends that, yeah, it was really hard and it was so painful and I had so much sorrow, but I have a certain basic level of joy that God has brought me in Jesus. You see, as we think about walking with Jesus in our suffering, he truly wants us to know that in our darkest nights, he's gonna be planting the seeds of our deepest joy. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what difficulty or pain, what trouble or problem, what sin, what suffering, what grief, what addiction, what loss, what pain. But I know this, Jesus gets it. 
and he walks with us in our suffering. D.A. Carson says, in the darkest night of the soul, Christians have something to hold on to, Christ crucified. Satan wants you to be defined by your suffering. He wants you to be defined by your worst moment of sin or selfishness or suffering. Don't let your worst moment have the final say. God wants to walk with you through what you're going through. Be careful how you think. Be careful how you act. Be careful how you speak. Be careful how you process. Be careful how you reflect. When you are careful and intentional, even in the darkness and uncertainty you're in, you're in a posture for God to plant those seeds of joy in your heart. Are you embracing your darkest night as a source God will use to bring you your deepest joy? Yes, the whole world has been changed forever because now the question is, what do we do with Jesus, not what do we do with our sin? But we who know Christ and walk with him daily, how does Good Friday affect us? As we walk with Jesus in our suffering, he gets us. And his desire is that in our darkest nights, those seeds of our deepest joy would be planted. Let me just conclude with six little hows. How do you embrace the darkest of the night so that God can plant the earliest of seeds of your deepest joy? How do you do that? I'm gonna bring up six things. You get your phone out, because these are not available on the take note, but you can take a picture of this, so leave it up on the screen when I have all six up there. You can also go to Calvary's Facebook or Instagram to find these six. I wanna just encourage you as a follower of Jesus, if you're in a, in a, a, a stormy season, you're in a dark night, you're, you're, you feel like you're in the desert and your life, you're just parched and looking for something, these are some things to pray over and and concentrate on and work into your life this week that will help you discover joy in the midst of the dark night and embrace what God has for you. Number one, remember Jesus gets it. He understands what it means to be lonely, to grieve, to feel pain, to suffer, to be rejected. He gets it. He gets it. Secondly, embrace going through it. We pray, God, take me around it, under it, over it, but don't take me through it. And that's okay, and God in his sovereignty sometimes does that. But there are times he says, for you as my child to grow you and, and cause you to lean into me and to shape you like he was shaping Peter and the disciples with, with their uncertainty and their disappointment, they would become a mighty source for God. He sometimes takes us through it. And we have to say, okay, Lord, I see you're taking me through this. I embrace this as a way in which you want my darkest night to be a place that my deepest joy is produced. Embrace it. Embrace going through it. Thirdly, lean into God, not away from God. Lean into God, not away from God. Our first impulse when things start happening is to step back from God's word, prayer, worshiping with God's people, spending time in our small groups. I meet people all the time, they'll say, Pastor, we haven't been here in six months because this happened and we just didn't feel like church. Oh, that's when you lean in the most. You open your Bible more, you pray more, you hang around God's people more, you let them speak into your life. Lean into God, not away from him. Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to quiet your impulses. So you are careful in how you think and act, how you process, how you speak, how you reflect. Say, okay, Holy Spirit, right now I know this all of a sudden is a sudden shock. It's darkness. I'm in the middle of it. I've been in it for a long time. I, I just need you to quiet my impulses so that I can hear you and I can experience what you want me to experience in the midst of this darkness. 
Fifth, love those God put in your path right now. I love how he says, Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say, good, when Peter says yes. He says, then love those I'm gonna bring in your path. That means love the people in your house, love the people you work with, love the people you live next door to, love your other friends. It doesn't even mean some major plan. It means just speaking a word of encouragement, trying to be of help. It even means the stranger opening the door for them, saying a kind word, a smile. It means thinking about others. I, I find that a lot of times when I'm in the darkest moment, when I think about serving others, because that's what Jesus would do. From the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He took care of his mother from the cross. He didn't have a path he was walking on, and Jesus ministered to people. We should pay attention to the people in our path, and we should love the people in our path now. That will help us in our darkest time to discover our deepest joy. Sixth and finally, focus on the joy, not the pain. This takes discipline. But focus on the joy God has for you, not the pain you're going through. Focus on the joy God has for you, not the pain you're going through. That helps you begin to turn the corner and to see the hand of God in places you thought you could never see the hand of God. It begins to allow those seeds to get planted deep in your heart of joy, the seeds of joy, so that you can experience the deep joy he has for you in the darkest of nights. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what you're entering into, what you're coming out of, but I know this. As we walk with Jesus in suffering, our darkest nights often produce our deepest joy. We need to be in position, ready to receive it. Don't let Satan convince you that your worst moment of sin, selfishness, and suffering, any one of those, is the final say. The one who died, was buried, and was raised for you, he has the final say. Allow God to bring you joy, deep joy in the darkest night. Father, I pray for those who are here wrestling Wrestling in their spirit. Maybe it's been a week. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been a year since they entered into the darkness. They walked into the desert. They found themselves in the middle of a storm. I pray right now you would whisper and remind them of your presence. Bring them comfort and peace. Pray, Father, they'd guard their impulses. I pray that they'd be reminded Jesus knows pain and suffering and rejection and loneliness. He knows the heartache. Help them to understand that Jesus wants to walk with them in the journey in the dark night so that he can begin to plant those seeds of deep joy. Help them to know that. Thank you for that day that changed the world forever, that continues to change our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.